Good morning, good morning. I'm glad you're here. I'm Lee. Welcome to Go Ahead Make My Tuesday. If you're new, we are currently on a journey to reclaiming our mindset. Today, we're going to discuss language. We've previously talked about self-talk and how important it is to be aware of that negative self-talk and how to correct it. But another way we use language that can negatively affect ourselves and others is label-first language versus person-first language. So label-first language involves using an adjective or a label to describe a person's characteristic or condition before we even mention the person themselves. This can sometimes emphasize the characteristic or condition over the individual. It is important to note that not all label-first language is considered negative, but typically speaking, it's perceived as stereotypical or reduces a person's identity to a single trait, like saying the disabled person. Person Person-first language is exact opposite. It emphasizes the person before the characteristic or condition, acknowledging the person's humanity and identity beyond that particular aspect. It is often considered more respectful and person-centered as it focuses on the individual rather than defining them solely on a characteristic. So instead it would be a person with a disability. Person-first language is a communication approach that emphasizes a person's humanity and individuality before mentioning any disabilities, conditions, or other defining characteristics. For example, saying a person with autism instead of an autistic person is an example of person-first language. The idea behind person-first language is to prioritize the person's identity and avoid reducing them to a single label or characteristic. There are several reasons why person-first language is considered better and more respectful. It promotes respect and dignity by recognizing the inherent worth and dignity of each individual. It puts the person before any label or condition, emphasizing that they are a whole person with unique qualities beyond their characteristics. By using person-first language, we help reduce the stigma and negative stereotypes associated with certain conditions or disabilities. By focusing on the person rather than the condition, it can help combat preconceived notions and biases. Person-first language encourages empathy by reminding us that everyone has a complex and multifaceted identity. It encourages us to see beyond someone's condition and consider their thoughts, feelings, and experiences. Person-first language contributes to a more inclusive society by emphasizing that individuals with disabilities or conditions are just as valuable members of the community as the others. It helps create an environment where everyone is treated with fairness and respect. When we use person-first language, we are more likely to engage in positive and meaningful interactions with others. It helps us focus on the person's strengths and abilities rather than dwelling solely on their challenges. The shift towards person-first language reflects changing attitudes towards disabilities and conditions. 
It acknowledges the involving understanding that an individual's identity is multidimensional and should not be defined solely by their condition. Don't you want these things when someone's talking about you? Don't you want someone to be respectful and show dignity? Reducing the stigma and encouraging empathy towards you? Don't you want some someone to talk about you that in, in, that causes you to feel included in society and in your group or your community? Don't you want those more positive and meaningful interactions? Of course we do. We all want those things. But what we're doing in our own head and our own self-talk is putting our label first. I've heard so many people say, well, I'm depressed. I can't do that. But really, you're living with depression. That doesn't mean you can't do A, B, or C. Might it be a little bit harder? Absolutely. Definitely not discrediting that. But just because you have a diagnosis of depression doesn't mean you can't do whatever the thing is you're wanting to do. My favorite example is when a friend of mine was diagnosed with cancer. She didn't go around saying, I am cancer. She may have shared in an appropriate context that she has or was living with cancer, but it, did, it didn't define her whole existence. You may be living with bipolar disorder, but you shouldn't be introducing yourself as, I'm bipolar. It doesn't define everything about your existence. My son was not ADHD and dyslexic. Yes, I was guilty of using label first language. What I needed to be saying to his teachers was he lives with ADHD and dyslexia. It wasn't who he was. It was something that they need to be aware of due to context of the conversation. So let's talk to ourselves better, and then it overflows into how we talk to others. Okay, one of my very, very favorite things is up next. Self-care. When I say self-care, I am not talking about showering, putting makeup on, getting dressed, any of the typical hygiene slash basic taking care of yourself things. Usually when I ask someone what they do for self-care, the answer is, I don't know, I don't do that. Or I have kids, I don't do that. So let me reword it for you. What do you do or what could you do that would bring you joy? I want you to really think about that. Where is a place or what is a thing that you do or a thing that you look at that brings you joy. It may be stepping outside and taking a walk. Maybe drawing is your form of self-care. Maybe when you drive up to um, a nearby destination that's different but has a really pretty view it brings you to this moment of peace and clarity maybe you like to write poems i don't know what your self-care is 
my self-care and your self-care are going to be different. For some people, self-care is their favorite thing is a hot bubble bath. They'll soak in it for an hour, just relaxing with a good book, maybe a drink in their hand. Great. That works amazingly for some people. But my self-care and your self-care are different. It doesn't mean yours is right or yours is wrong or mine is right or mine is wrong. It just means that we're different people and different things bring us peace and joy. For some people, they have someone in their family that they may be able to talk to for a few minutes each day and it brings them peace or joy. So that leads me to the second part of self-care. You need to have some self-care in place that you can do at the drop of the hat almost any time. If you've had a rough day from work at work and you come home and you need to do something to kind of reset and refocus, what could it be? So we have a short-term self-care. But we also need to have some self-care that maybe we look forward to. Maybe we only do it every six to eight weeks or every three months. I personally, getting my nails done is a luxury for sure. I don't have to have it, but I find my mind just kind of clears out and refocuses in that hour I spend every four to five weeks getting my nails done. So what is it for you? That's my challenge this week. For you to really sit down and look at what things could bring you peace and joy if you're not already doing them. If you're already doing them, then great. What are they? But nine times out of ten, we think we're doing things that bring us peace and joy, and it's not really about that. It's because we're trying to keep up a certain appearance or a certain expectation. Self-care has to really, truly be all for you. And moms out there or adults that are taking care of their parents, whoever... It is not selfish of you to have self-care. In fact, it's actually proven that self-care helps us take care of others better. It's kind of like when your kids were little, or maybe you still have kids that are little, and people told you, oh, you have to take time for yourself or you're not going to be able to take care of the kids. Like you're going to get burnt out, you're going to be frustrated. It's the same concept. We just didn't call it self-care then. Self-care is taking care of yourself, refueling yourself before you get to E so that you can continue to take care of other people, whether it be jobs or loved ones or volunteer work, whatever it is you do, you have to be fully functioning to be able to help those others. So we have to take care of ourselves before we get to E. While we're talking about being on E, I want you to think about how effective a car is when the gas light is on E. Anybody that knows me knows that it's funny I use this analogy because I am terrible about waiting until the last minute to get gas in my car. But 
Think about that scenario for a second. If I wait too late, I now run out of gas. That little bit of time before I completely run out, the car is extremely slow and it's puttering and it's not very beneficial. Now it's on E and the only way to move it is for somebody to actually push it after I put it in neutral. So now think about yourself in that manner. Before you get to E, you start to slow down, you start puttering. Maybe your slow down and puttering is being angry or emotional. I don't know what your, what your almost E looks like. If you don't know what yours looks like, you need to really pay attention to how you start to change with your mindset and your body language, your demeanor, everything, right before you get to E. And then once you're on E, how helpful are you? How useful are you to your loved ones, to your employer, to your organizations that you are passionate about? We're not very effective in that moment because now we're in neutral and we're just coasting along, just doing the bare minimum, right? And sometimes not even that. So we want to keep ourselves from getting on E. We have to start taking some self-care time. Again, if someone tells you this is selfish, it is not. It is the most selfless thing you can do. Take care of yourself so that you can take care of other people. Alright, that's my challenge this week. I want to know what your self-care is, and I want to know if you took part in it. So hopefully, you followed us on Facebook, or you have found us online at timewell-spent.com. Hopefully, you'll find time to join the Facebook group, and you can answer some questions this week throughout about self-care and how you're managing your self-care, what your self-care looks like. Don't forget to like, follow, and subscribe. Share with your friends. I'm so glad you're here. Next week, we're going to look at cognitive distortions and how we can break that cycle of thinking. In the meantime, don't forget, self-care is the best care, so make sure you're participating in your self-care. <laughs>